0: My name is Thomas Malchow. I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years. I've worked with hundreds of Olympic and professional athletes. I can help you become better at golf. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Thomas Malchow from trainfully.com, and you're listening to the Train Fully podcast, the show dedicated to enhancing your golf performance. Now, guys, if you like our podcast and you find it's helpful, please subscribe And also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really do help us out. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. The handle is at TrainFully. Our YouTube page is dedicated to sports medicine and performance training for golfers. So it can really help you out with injuries as well as performance enhancement. And if there's something that you need help with that we don't have a video for yet, Whether that's an injury or or something performance related, you can send an email to connect at trainfully.com, explain what your issue is, and I'll be sure to make a detailed and thorough video to show you how to solve that problem. So again, guys, subscribe to our YouTube channel today. The handle is at trainfully. Now, in this episode, we have Dr. Trent Nestler joining us. Trent is a sports medicine physical therapist, an author, researcher, and educator. He's also the president of Ready Rebound Vitality, and they work with over 250 police and fire departments across the United States, focusing on improving the health and wellness of first responders and reducing their musculoskeletal injuries. Trent is truly one of the top innovators and educators in movement science and technology. In fact, last year, I went through the University of Tennessee blood flow restriction training certificate program, and Trent was the expert instructor. Now, if you don't know what blood flow restriction training is, it is an absolute game changer in sports rehab and performance training. And in this episode, we're really fortunate because Trent is going to do a deep dive into blood flow restriction training for us. But I'm going to give you a quick overview first, okay? That way you have a basic understanding of what blood flow restriction training is before Trent really dives into it. So with blood flow restriction training, we place blood flow restriction cuffs around our upper legs and or upper arms. The purpose of these cuffs is to intentionally reduce blood flow while we exercise, okay? So these cuffs apply an external pressure to our upper extremities, and that pressure reduces blood flow while we exercise. And we can wear these cuffs during resistance training or strength training, as well as during cardiovascular training. But why would we want to reduce blood flow during exercise? That sounds counterintuitive, right? Well, it turns out reducing blood flow during exercise is a biohack for injury recovery and performance enhancement. And that's because it allows us to train at a low intensity, but get the benefits of high intensity training. So let's start with how we can use blood flow restriction with performance training. Typically, we have to lift at least 70% of our one rep maximum to see increases in muscle mass and strength. And if we wanna increase power, then we'll have to do some maximum strength training, which involves loads of 85 to 100% over one rep maximum. So that's a lot of weight. And obviously for some people, there are risks that come along with lifting that much weight. Well, now with blood flow restriction training, we don't have to lift 85 to 100% over one rep maximum. Instead, we can lift anywhere from 20 to 40% of our one rep maximum, but we get the same results as if we were lifting 85 to 100% of our one rep maximum. Okay, so for example, some of my clients can deadlift 400 pounds, okay? So that means if we're training at 85 to 100% of their one rep maximum, then they're deadlifting anywhere from 340 pounds to 400 pounds that's a lot of weight, right? And there's obviously a compressive cost to their lumbar spine for lifting that much weight. And these are golfers. So that's obviously something that I'm concerned about. Well, now with blood flow restriction training for that same athlete, instead of having them deadlift 340 to 400 pounds, I can have them deadlift anywhere from 80 pounds to 160 pounds. But we're still getting the same results in terms of muscle mass and strength as if they were deadlifting that much heavier 340 to 400 pounds, right? So that's a much lighter weight that they're lifting now. And so there's a much lower compressive cost to their lumbar spine. And again, we're not sacrificing anything in terms of muscle mass or strength gains. Now, I know that sounds crazy, and you're probably thinking it sounds too good to be true, right? Here's how it works. The reason blood flow restriction training is so effective at increasing muscle mass and strength, even though we're lifting a lighter weight or training at a lower intensity, is because when we reduce blood flow during exercise, our body responds by increasing anabolic hormone production and fast twitch muscle fiber recruitment. Okay. And again, normally, in order to get our body to do that, we have to train at a very high intensity or lift a very heavy weight. But blood flow restriction training stimulates our body to do that, even though we're lifting a lightweight. Okay, now, in terms of anabolic hormones, with blood flow restriction training, our body produces more growth hormone, more IGF-1, and more testosterone. In fact, growth hormone increases by as much as 900%. And testosterone increases to the same levels that you would normally get with testosterone replacement therapy. And the reason we get a higher recruitment of fast twitch muscle fibers is because restricting blood flow during exercise creates an anaerobic environment in our muscles. Okay, so a low oxygen environment and fast twitch muscle fibers are anaerobic. They don't need oxygen to contract. So they can function just fine under these conditions. Slow twitch muscle fibers, however, cannot because slow twitch muscle fibers are aerobic. They need oxygen. So, this anaerobic environment forces the body to recruit more fast twitch muscle fibers because the slow twitch muscle fibers can't help, right? There's no oxygen. Okay. So, with blood flow restriction training, even though we're lifting a lighter weight or training at a lower intensity, our body produces higher levels of anabolic hormones and a higher recruitment of fast twitch muscle fibers. So this is almost like being on performance enhancing drugs. And it's for that reason that Olympic athletes and professional athletes are now leveraging blood flow restriction in their training. Now, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, do these changes affect the entire body or just the extremities below the cuffs? Hormonal changes are systemic. Okay, so that means the increase in anabolic hormones is going to affect all of your muscles, all of your soft tissues, and all of your bones equally, not just below the cuffs, but throughout your entire body. Okay, so that means all of your muscles will get bigger and stronger. The increase in fast twitch muscle fiber recruitment, however, is primarily more localized to below the cuffs. Okay, so that's how blood flow restriction training can be leveraged to enhance performance. But what about injury recovery? Well, blood flow restriction is an absolute game changer for sports rehab. And that's because it allows us to increase muscle mass and strength without putting stress on the injured area. Right? Normally, we have to train at a high intensity or lift heavy weights in order to increase strength. But if we're injured, that's not possible, or at least it's very dangerous. Right? But now with blood flow restriction, we don't have to lift heavy weights, we can lift light weights, not stress the injured area, and still get increases in muscle mass and strength. And remember those hormones I mentioned earlier, growth hormone, IGF one and testosterone, Well, they work together to repair muscle, soft tissue, and bone. So if we increase these hormones, then you're going to heal faster, right? So if we add it all up, if we're using blood flow restriction in our therapy or rehab, then we're going to shorten the length of time that is necessary to recover from an injury, both from a strength standpoint as well as a tissue healing standpoint. And some of the results that Trent and I have seen firsthand have been absolutely amazing. And Trent's going to dive into all of that in this episode. Now the training protocols in terms of sets, reps and rest interval are really important. Okay. This isn't your standard three sets of 10. Trent Mm -hmm. will explain the training protocols in this episode. Also, I'll be uploading blood flow restriction training workouts with the correct protocols, of course, to the Train Fully Inner Circle. Okay, so if you're a member of my inner circle, you'll have full access to those programs. And if you're not a member and you want to join, head over to trainfully.com and sign up today. Now, if you work in sports medicine or strength and conditioning, and you want to learn more about blood flow restriction and how you can apply it to your practice or to your clients, I highly recommend the University of Tennessee Blood Flow Restriction Training Certificate Program. This is the program that Trent teaches and the one that I went through. It's all online. It's the first university-based certificate program that offers an evidence-based look at the application of blood flow restriction for the use in therapy, training, and strength and conditioning. And if you're a physical therapist or kinesiologist, you get 12 and a half hours of continuing education credits for completing the program. You can access that course from Trent's website, drtrentnestler.com or from northeastseminars.com. And I've put both of those addresses in the show notes. Okay. I've also put Trent's Instagram page in the show notes, BJJPT underscore ACL underscore guy. Now if you're going to be using blood flow restriction, you're going to need blood flow restriction cuffs. There are a lot of different companies that make cuffs. The cuffs that I use and most of my clients use are made by a company called smart tools. I've put a link to their cuffs in the show notes. Now if you need any sort of guidance on which cuffs you should get or you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Trent prefers rock cuffs. You can get those at rockcuff.com. I have those as well, and I think they're great. And if you take the University of Tennessee program, it comes with a full set of rock cuffs. Okay. Now, guys, enjoy the episode. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out either to myself or to Trent. All right, so joining us today is sports medicine and movement specialist, Dr. Trent Nessler. Trent, welcome to the show. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Thomas. I really appreciate
0: it. So we're going to do a deep dive into a training method that I find really exciting, and that's mm-hmm. blood flow restriction. Before we do that, though, can you please introduce yourself and tell us why you got into sports sure. medicine and performance training?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Trent Nessler. Uh, I am a physical therapist. Um, I graduated from PT school back in '97. Uh, uh, got with a master's. Uh, actually, um, really got into uh, looking at ACL, ACL injury prevention, um, and uh, went back did my doctorate with a focus in biomechanics and motor learning. Um, you know, I've always been an athlete my whole life. Uh, wrestled. Uh, I was also a weightlifter, bodybuilder. Um, And so I've kind of continued that on my life, Um, you know, and so um, to me, you know, dealing with athletes, I mean, I've I've always enjoyed working with every patient population. You know, when I first came out of school, I worked in a nursing home. My father's a quadriplegic. So I originally got into physical therapy. Um, I've got a special needs daughter, you know, so I've I've, I've dabbled in a lot of different things. Um, But I always uh, really enjoyed sports medicine. And I've really devoted probably the last 20 some odd years to uh, ACL injury prevention. Um, So I've been involved in a lot of work in ACL injury prevention, done a lot of research in that area. And that's really where I came across uh, BFR. Um, And, you know, just it's, uh, I was actually first introduced to BFR um, by a good friend of mine who's a PTATC for the Houston Texans. His name's Roland Ramirez. He's the head, head athletic trainer, and he introduced me to BFR probably about 10 years ago. Um, it still wasn't really well-known. You know, he was using it with his football players, um, you know, as a part of their ACL rehab. He was having just amazing results. Um, he and I go back a long ways, and we would always kind of, like, share stuff with each other, and um, he's like, man, you really need to check this out. Like, this is fascinating stuff. Um, and so we actually got on the phone with him and Johnny Owens, you know, and, and still this was like in the beginning phases of BFR, you know, and I had no idea who Johnny Owens was, you know, and, and you know, he was just some PT at the Int- Center for the Intrepid, you know, at that time, um, you know, knowing who he is today, right, it's totally different, um, but it was really kind of my first introduction to BFR Um, You know, I had Roland, uh, we were actually doing a sports medicine conference with Dr. Andrews and Kevin Wilk, and um, I had uh, Roland come out and uh, do a piece on BFR, you know, and and at that time, you know, it was still fresh, it was still, you know, really didn't know a whole lot about it, but we were getting really great results, and uh, to where it is today, it's, to me, it's been, it's been one of those things that's a game changer. I know that was a really long winded answer to you know, how but- did I get into sports? But, you know, I got into sports cause I was an athlete. I've always been, I'm still an athlete. I like to consider myself an athlete, uh, I practice jujitsu. I'm, I treat a lot of combat athletes. You know, that's the primary population that I deal with. Um, so yeah, I've, I've loved sports my whole life.
0: Well, and you know, so I've been in in sports rehab and uh, strength and conditioning now for almost 25 years. And during that time, I can't think of any other training method, any technology, any supplement that has come along and been as effective as BFR has been. Yeah. Yeah. And you would think with how effective it is that it would have this like super high tech origin right like i imagine far right, was right. developed in an exercise physiology lab at harvard or something right, right. but that's not how it happened wasn't no. you please tell us no the
1: yeah so you know it's it's funny because you know it's it's interesting like you know as you start to see who some of these innovators are and in, like some of this stuff like and you get back into their some of their methodology and how they started out it's like wow like really um you know so this was dr sato uh in japan um he was actually a mixed martial artist and he was sitting in a in a funeral uh and he was sitting you know uh on his knees um and he got up and he's like "Hmm, my legs feel a little bit pumped up he's like you know, I wonder if I can if I he was also a, a major weightlifter. He's like, so I wonder if I could do something with this. So he he started taking uh bicycle tires and cutting them and then wrapping them around his legs and doing squats, you know, and then um uh was was cutting his circulation off um to the point that he actually put himself in the hospital, you know, and the doctors are like, What in the world are you doing? But he was getting such a great pump out of it. He's like, I gotta continue this, I gotta figure out how to do this. And you know and and thank goodness that he did because you know he continued on uh, to develop the Katsu method, uh, which back in that time, this is back in the 60s, you know, and for for some of our more mature therapists, you know, if you remember back in the days with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Franco Colombo, this was really big in the European bodybuilding uh, uh, realm. So you got, you know, Bertel Fox and and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Franco Colombo and if you look back at the old pictures back in the day in muscle and fitness and they're wrapping wraps around their arm. They were trying to mimic what the Kaatsu method did and they were doing some form of blood flow restriction cuz they knew if they wrapped their biceps like that and then did bicep curls, they got a bigger pump out of it. And so, you know, it really originated in the 60s, it really started to take off in the, uh, European bodybuilding, uh, industry. Um, and it really did not, um, start to take off in the U S until, um, Johnny Owen started to use it, you know, um, center for the intrepid is, you know, for those that don't know, uh, it's where a lot of our combat, uh, uh, vets go, uh, after loss of limb or some very massive injuries, Um, And what what, uh, uh, Johnny was finding is that he could use this kaiatsu method, and that's what he originally started with, um, the kaiatsu method, and he was getting some amazing results with these combat vets, and he was actually able to get them back to, you know, the war um, in a much more rapid pace, because a lot of them wanted to go back to that, so he was finding that he could get them back in a much more rapid pace. And really, you know, um, in the world of of BFR, you you know, you have the pioneer of uh, Dr. Sato. And then really the other pioneer, you know, came along, you know, some 40 years later, and that was really Johnny Owens and what he was doing. you know, I kind of credit him for really kind of bringing it to the U.S. and bringing it to the rehab market. But one of the things I found that's very interesting, you know, to me today this should be a standard of practice for an ACL reconstruction. Um, you, you should not be treating ACL reconstructions without the use of BFR, in my opinion. Um, you know, in, 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 in um, I've actually had some PTs get upset with me when I say that because they're like, well, I don't do BFR because I think it's too dangerous, but I treat a lot of ACLs. Let me tell you the difference that it makes. So, you know, I'm, I'm 54 years old. Uh, I suffered a massive uh, uh, mixed martial arts injury, uh, multi-complex knee injury. Um, I suffered a displaced fracture in my right hand. Knee injury was on my right side. Um, had surgery um, and I traveled for work and I was trying to walk around on crutches with a cast on my hand and brace on my knee. You know, as I'm, I'm traveling around the country and I, I compressed my radial nerve up in my axilla um, and lost 85% strength in my right upper extremity. So the complexity of this, you know, uh, I had posterior horn tear, uh, posterior to anterior, had a MCL tear, I had a, a posterior lateral corner tear, I had a osteochondral defect on my femur, displaced fracture on my hand, neuropraxia. You would think, you know, fifty at that time, fifty-three years old, you're like, you know, you're not going back for at least a year. Um, I was back on the, on the mats uh, at four months and competitive at six months. Um, And at six months, I mean, I was doing single leg takedowns. I was doing, you know, hopping around on my leg. You couldn't tell. Um, And I credit that to uh, the impact of BFR. I started BFR day two post-op. I was doing it with neuromuscular STEM. Um, You know, I was, I was the, I was Dr. Sato. Um, because I was in there, you know, I, I started a frequency of 200 hertz and went all the way down to 50, which if you've not done 50 hertz on your own quad, it hurts bad. Um, and I was doing it for massive numbers of sets, you know. Um, but what I found is, is that by doing BFR preoperatively and then doing it post-operatively, I did it for my hand, did it for my neuropraxia, um, did it with a lot of eccentrics and I was doing a uh, uh, neuromuscular stem with that as well. Um, I had strength back in my arm back to normal at three and a half weeks. Um, my, my hand had healed enough that the orthopedic, the hand surgeon thought he was going to have to pin it because it, it uh, split right down the center of the handmade and popped out of place. I had to relocate it back on the mat. And he thought that he was gonna to have to pin it in place. But I had three weeks of preoperative before I, before I went into surgery. And I was doing BFR with that. And it healed enough and became stable enough that he didn't even have to pin it. So again, all of this, I credit to BFR, but I, but I was also applying the science. I mean, I was, I was following the, the protocols. I was really harsh on my nutrition really following good uh, nutritional guidelines, uh, really, uh, uh, very cognizant of my hydration, which is what, what we, what we don't talk about enough with BFR is the importance of the nutritional component, um, and the hydration component, because you are, uh, altering the chemical environment of your body with BFR. Uh, and if you maximize the chemical environment of your, of your, of your body while doing BFR, you're going to maximize your effect, you know? So it's, it's uh, you know, to me um, BFR is a game changer. I had a, I had another one of my black belts uh, ruptured uh, bicep during an arm bar
0: Uh,
1: surgical case, you know, um, this is a black belt, competitive black belt you would expect him not to be back on the mats for at least six months. Um, he was back on the mats getting armbarred at three and a half months. Jeez. Um, and, you know, again, um, I attribute that to the fact that he was, he followed the protocol. He followed exactly what I was telling him to do. Um, and it made that much of a difference uh, in in the way that it works. Yeah. You know, so
0: I had a, a, well, I have a client who was scheduled for a knee replacement. And we used BFR as just sort of his, his pre-surgical strengthening yeah. to improve the rehab outcome afterwards. And the surgeon took a look at him and the surgery, the planned surgery changed from a total knee replacement to like just a resurfacing of the, the tibia. And then from there, another six weeks of, of BFR. And the surgeon's like, you know what? Just don't, I don't want to see you yeah. again. Oh, yeah. knee starts to hurt again. You yeah. know, it Looks great. It's yeah. been absolutely amazing. Um, so why don't you explain how it works?
1: Yeah. So, you know, and in in and and I'm glad we're gonna have this discussion because there is uh in the PT field, there is um when people hear BFR, there is automatically this hesitancy, this fear of using it because you're messing with blood flow and like my God, you're putting a tourniquet on somebody's arm and then you're having them exercise. Just seems seems crazy, right? But but when you look at the science of it, so what you're doing is you put a cuff on um, and, and you know, we all know you know your, your arteries have muscle to them, your veins do not. So when you put on the cuff and you're tightening the cuff up, what ends up happening is that the vein will collapse before the artery, okay? So what happens is you're not occluding the blood flow into the muscle, you're occluding the, the blood coming out of the muscle. So what happens is you're doing a very low load. You're you know doing 40% of one rep max. You're doing a very low load and you're working out. So blood is fl- flowing into the muscle, but it's not flowing out. So eventually what happens is that muscle becomes engorged with blood and it can't take any more blood, right? But you're continuing to work out. And as you continue to do this low level of exercise, what happens is that your muscle is pulling oxygen off of that oxygenated blood. Well, eventually, because no more blood's coming in, you run out of oxygen in the blood, but you're still doing this really low load. So what ends up happening is two things happen. You get a localized effect. So number one, because the muscle is is becoming hypoxic, it starts to sense that it's becoming hypoxic, it's becoming harder to do. So what it does, it increases motor unit recruitment. So that's really a key point for your post-op ACLs. We, you know, I, have treated ACLs for over 20 years and I've always told people, you know, your quad shuts down, blah, 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 blah. The same thing that we always talk about yeah. until I had my own knee injury and I've worked out for 40 some odd years and my quad shut down. Like I was having a really hard time contracting my quad and I'm like, this is crazy because for me, I know how to fire my quad. I know how to fire my quad yeah. and I still couldn't get my quad to fire. And so um, to me, that was one key piece is the ability for BFR to really increase the motor unit recruitment. So, so knowing that piece, and I'll go to the, the systemic effect in a second, knowing that, that, that localized effect, we can take huge advantage of that. Um, And especially when you combine that with neuromuscular STEM, you know, that's one of the things that I think that uh, most people don't do with BFR um, is leverage the other things that we have that can help the process. You know, there's, you can use class four laser and I'll talk about that later. And then you can use neuromuscular STEM. So the neuromuscular STEM on top of the BFR is a one-two punch because you're really getting that those motor units to fire, plus you're making them fire because of the of the hypoxic state. So as you continue on and you're continuing to exercise, um, and um, you're operating in this hypoxic state, there's a there's a cascade of of chemical events that occur within the body. Um, And one of the things that happens is that the body starts to, through a a series of reactions, the body starts to release growth hormone. And the growth hormone release is significant. It's not like your regular workouts. The uh, level of growth hormone release is at the same level as if you were doing some low level of testosterone replacement or if you were doing heavy, heavy resistance training, 85% of one rep max, you would get that same level of growth hormone, but keeping in mind, you're only at 40% of one RM. So you get this growth hormone release at the same time because of the growth hormone release that also stimulates the cascade of events, which causes the release of IGF-1. And insulin growth factor one um, is really important again for muscle growth but also for bone healing. So, so there's studies out there that are looking at the impact of BFR training and the bony plugs of an ACL reconstruction. And what they're finding is that those bony plugs are healing in like half the time, knowing that that's why I used it for my hand, because I knew that I could accelerate the healing process by using BFR on my upper extremity to help that bone heal. And that's exactly what happened. The surgeon, the hand surgeon, sports medicine hand surgeon was shocked that it was as, as healed as it was and as stable as it was. But the final thing that it does is it suppresses myostatin. And myostatin is the, uh, it is the hormone that is released that prevents muscle growth. Okay. So, so myostatin is usually suppressed with anabolic steroid use. Um, but also with heavy, heavy resistance training, so eighty-five percent of one rep max. So you get this cascade of, of systemic effect, which is the growth hormone, the IGF one, the myostatin suppression, all of which helps the muscle actually grow. That's where I go into the nutrition part because you know the the uh, the importance of hydration is really important because any change in your pH slows those chemical reactions. So as, as much as 0.01 change in your pH can alter the speed at which those chemical reactions take place. So if you're dehydrated, so it's simply taking a hydration chart and looking at the color and the odor of your urine, if you're at three, at three or below, you start impacting the, the speed at which those chemical reactions take place. So that's why I always tell people when you're doing BFR, it is critical that you also make sure that you are well hydrated. But the other piece of that is, is really making sure that we've got um, the proper nutrition on, on, on par, you know, you're not taking in a lot of sugars, you know, you're keeping your protein intake high. Um, so your protein intake is high. Um, other things that you can do with that is create monohydrate because creating monohydrate actually pulls it attaches to water and it pulls water into the cytoplasm. So it's an intracellular effect. And when you pull that hydration or that, that water, that hydrogen ion into the cell, what that does, it helps to neutralize that chemical environment, speeds up the chemical reactions. What does all that mean? It means you heal faster. It means your muscle grows faster. It means you, you recover faster. All of those things that we want as a part of the rehab process. Right. So that's a, that's an in-depth kind of uh piece of it, but you know, the, the thing that we don't talk enough about is the nutrition and the hydration aspects of it.
0: Well, that's, so I'll just reiterate here for the people. Yeah. listening. So we use the blood, we put blood uh, flow restriction cuffs around our upper thighs and or upper arms yeah. to intentionally reduce blood flow during exercise. Yep. And what, by doing that, we increase a hormone called IGF-1, as well as growth hormone, and they work together to help bones heal, right? Yep. And, and muscle. And muscle. So then what kind of a impact would this have for people, say, who have joint issues like osteoarthritis or even rheumatoid arthritis? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You know, the, the beauty of that is um, is that for those folks, they can actually use BFR and not have the wear and tear on the joint. You know, because part of the, part of the challenge with strength training, especially with our our, our mature our, our mature individuals, I call it mature after 50. But our more mature individuals is joint pain, right? Um, and how do you strengthen somebody without, you know causing joint pain or pain? And the beauty of BFR is it allows you to train at such a low intensity or a low uh, uh, low rep uh, one rep max. Um, that you still that you can still do that and not have the joint uh, wear and tear. Now, that being said, a couple of things to be aware of is number one, it's still very intense. I mean, it is still a very intense workout. So if you have those those folks who can't tolerate exercise, who have a low tolerance for exercise, this is gonna be intense for them. Um, and then the second piece is is if they're on any kind of blood thinners, If they aren't any kind of blood thinners, um, and you do BFR, it's going to look like you punched them in the arm, because they're going to get they're going to get some black and blue with it because of the cuff itself and the pressure of the cuff itself.
0: Is that a a problem? Is that a contraindication? Blood thinners.
1: You know, um, in my mind, yes, Um, because you know, um, unless the person has a really good understanding of it. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to end up with a big old bruise uh, and it's, it, you know, they're going to be more concerned about that um, than the actual effect that they're getting from the VFR. So in my mind, that's, a, that is a contraindication. There are other contraindications, you know, um, cancer, anything that grows, that's bad. Mm-hmm. You don't want to throw a massive amount of growth hormone and IGF-1 in there in their system. Cause it'll just make
0: it grow. And it is an intense workout. It's very intense. And it, it is it surprised me, myself, how intense it it was. I wasn't yes. expecting it to be that difficult. I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to use a lighter load yeah. and have a great workout and my muscles are going to grow. But you are working hard. And I find it actually very rewarding. Like I really yeah. enjoy the workouts. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, I'll tell you, you know, a good story. I have a, uh, he's uh, he's one of our uh, third degree black belts. Um, he's a, a, a big dude. Um, he was a power lifter for the Russian uh, Olympic team, you know, that, and he's always been a power lifter. Um, now he's in his forties, you know, he's still trying to power lift um and do jujitsu at the same time which is not a good combination for your joints that being that being said when I first introduced uh him to BFR and this is a this is a massive man no neck he's just you know and he's uh, you know and he's like yeah whatever like you, you know you, I'm gonna do 40 percent of one rep max and you're that's gonna make me work out so I I gave him some cuffs I'm like do it for me give me at least six weeks And you don't need six weeks, really only need about three weeks to see an effect. Um, At the end of six weeks, he actually sent me a message on Facebook and he's like, holy cow, dude. He's like, I can't believe how much better my joints feel and what a great pump I'm getting. And as a jujitsu athlete, um, I gave him a cardiovascular protocol um, and how much it improved his lactic uh, acid threshold Mm -hmm. and what it did for his VO2 max on the mat. He was shocked at how much better he was lasting because our rounds are typically about six minutes, you know, so a six or a 10 minute round, he wasn't gassed at the end of that at at the end of that round.
0: Um, So one of the things that I noticed, which I found really interesting. So I was using uh, about like 30 to 40% of my one rep max doing the protocol, which we'll talk about the protocol here in a little bit. And I did that for four weeks and then I tested my, my one rep max again, and I was stronger. Yeah. And yeah. I hadn't lifted any heavy weights yeah. in a the month, then I was strong, right. which I, blew my Isn't mind. Isn't that crazy? It was. I was so yeah. impressed with the yeah. result. Um, well, and,
1: and and part of that has to go with the fact that you're recruiting more of the muscle, right? Keeping it, keeping in mind, you're doing two things. Um, you're tricking the system, and you're getting the muscle to recruit because that's what heavy resistance training does, right? That's why you can lift more because you're recruiting more of the muscle. Number one. And at the same time, with heavy resistance training, you're also throwing in this massive amount of growth hormone and IGF-1 to make it grow bigger, right? But now you're doing all of that without the actual heavy resistance. Now, that being said, you know, what I always tell my athletes, especially for, you know, my my uh, athletes that are required to move a lot of weight, you know, if they are a power lifter, you still have to get under a heavy bar every once in a while. Right. You know, this is not this is not going to replace that. You still have to get under a heavy bar, um, but at the same time, it's great supplement.
0: Yeah, uh, and there's a lot of Olympic and professional athletes. I know the NFL is really big yeah. on this now yep. as well to yep. enhance athletic performance. And so, is that how primarily it enhances athletic performance? Is through increased recruitment and increased growth so turnout? yeah
1: so uh increased recruitment um you know there's a lot of studies out there that show that you can improve your sprint speed so you can do you can do sprints with bfr on and sprinting at 40 percent of your sprint max and still get an improvement just like your lifts uh in your sprint speed um, so again, I, I use it a lot for uh, performance enhancement, um, especially in my, my martial artist, um, because um, what I find is I'll have them do uh, BFR and uh, doing single leg shots. Um, and the cool part is, is what I see is that the speed and the power of those single leg shots improve. So when they, when they come across, they're coming across a lot faster and they're hitting
0: the person with a lot more force which means success and takedown. So it promotes tissue healing and bone healing. It increases muscle size, increases Mm -hmm. strength. Uh, You touched on the cardiovascular fitness. How Mm -hmm. does it improve VO2 max and cardiovascular fitness?
1: Yeah, you know, it's the same effect. Uh, You uh, typically will exercise at uh, 40% to 50% of your VO2 max. Um, you know the the easiest thing. There's a, there are a lot of studies that correlate uh, ratings of perceived exertion to VO2 max. So I will have people use uh, ratings of perceived exertion. Where you add on your RPE, I'm a four or five. You're at 40 to 50 percent, and then I'll have them um, uh, do that uh, at with uh, for five minutes with their pressure on, mm-hmm. and then you release the pressure for five minutes and keep riding and then put the pressure back on for five minutes and then take the pressure off for five minutes and keep doing that cycle for 30 minutes. Um, and again, what the study shows is that it improves your VO2 max. What I found is that the whole time that I was off for my surgeries uh, and my uh, rehab, um, I was doing those cardiovascular protocols uh, the whole way through. And what I found is, is that when I, cause you know, one of the big things for us, again, our, our rounds are typically for those of you that have not seen a jujitsu match. Um, it's like wrestling with joint manipulation um, and our rounds, unlike wrestling, wrestling rounds are three minutes. Our rounds are anywhere from six. They can go depending on the competition up to 20 minutes. So, yeah. So when you go in there, you know, our, our average, our average uh, training time is 10 minute rounds. But I was able to go back to uh, the mat and not be completely gassed. I was shocked, you know. And again, as a as a mature athlete, that was surprising to me.
0: Yeah. And I've been using them on my walks. Like we go for yeah, a walk in the evening. Absolutely. I put them on. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because um I used to run a lot and I really enjoy running. I enjoy yeah. the way it makes me feel while I'm running. Mm-hmm. And I, I should have known better because I had the experience with the resistance training, but I'm on my walk and I'm huffing and puffing like I'm yeah. jogging and I'm right. getting the same sort of endorphin release right. Right. and I'm just out for a walk. It was, yeah. it,
1: was it was awesome. Um, well, and the other cool part of that is, is you can dial up and dial down the intensity. Right. You know, if you're walking and you have cuffs on your legs, that's going to be a very different intensity than if you have cuffs on your arms and legs. Right. Because even with arms, even without arm swing, even if you've got the cuffs on four limbs versus two limbs, you're going to get an increased effect. So the 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 beauty of BFR is you can dial up and dial down intensity, not just by resistance, not just by pressure, but by how many cuffs you actually have on your body. What would be the implications for heart health? You know, anything that it can improve VO2 max, you know, um, you know, I think that anything that can, uh, impact your cardiovascular system, um, is going to have a great effect. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, you know, you were talking about, you know, you used to love to run, you know, I used to love to run, but unfortunately, you know, it, you know, my age, my knees just can't take anymore. I've been squatting since I was 10 years old. You know, my knees just can't take that wear and tear anymore. So for me, what it allows me to do is to do less intense, less joint intense stuff, and still get the improvement in the VO2 max. Right. So improving my overall heart health um, at the same time, which, you know, and again, as we become mature, as we mature in life, unfortunately these things do catch up with you. You know, I, I, when I was in my twenties and thirties weightlifting, people used to tell me, Oh, you're not going to be able to do that forever. And I'm like, well, you're not me. (laughs) I will do it forever. Well,
0: now I'm finding a
1: way to do it forever. Yeah. um, But I'm just having to really
0: modify. And that's one of the things that I've been researching a lot lately. And and it's part because I'm getting older myself is, is aging and how we can use exercise to, can in some cases even reverse some of the negative effects of aging and so how would bfr fit into that and and how can bfr um be used to benefit the older population
1: yeah you know so you know and especially for um my male athletes you know i talked a lot to my male athletes um, about the leverage of bfr um, maximizing the hydration maximizing nutrition um, you know, I, I mentioned to you the uh, um, athlete that I had that had the bicep rupture. Um, he's actually a military vet. Um, he gets blood work uh, on, a, on a monthly basis uh, through the VA. One of the things that we found, um, ironically, uh, unbeknownst to me, was that um, he went for a blood test after we had been doing BFR for quite some time. And found that his uh, testosterone levels were significantly raised to the point where his primary care doc called him and asked him if he was taking some supplement. That being said, you know, as, as males, one of the things that happens in life is that your testosterone levels start to drop. And so using techniques like this and optimizing the nutrition that is going to promote testosterone release it can help in that aging process. Because one of the things that happens to us as we get older, our testosterone goes down. For us, how we feel that is we don't sleep as well. We're a little bit more tired. Um, We just don't have the same energy. We don't have the same strength. Our muscle, uh, we start to lose muscle size. And so by using and leveraging VFR, leveraging proper nutrition, you know, and I've even had some of my older competitive athletes even do uh, TRT uh, replacement and BFR at the same time and optimizing the nutrition. And it's a, it's a bang, 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 you know? So it's, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is that with the science that we have available to us today, you know, what we would traditionally start to experience in our fifties and sixties, you know, you can offset a lot of that,
0: you know, yeah. In terms of nutrition, what kind of um, uh, metrics are you generally recommending in terms of like protein per day or, or carbohydrates per day, obviously, that's going to change. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, I, 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 what I typically do is I I have people do a food log for me, Um, I have them do a food log for three days, and then I go through that and we, you know, calculate out their carbohydrates, their proteins, etc. Um, instead of giving people guidelines on like, you should have 30% carbs, you know, you know, 50% protein, whatever. Um, what I try to do is really take a critical look and see where their opportunities are, um, without drastically changing it so that people stick to it a little bit better. Um, you know, for your protein intake, you know, um, I've always gone off of the, off of the measure of 1.0 to 1.5 grams for every kilogram of body weight, um, That being said, when you're taking, you know, so for me, you know, I'm taking a little bit over 200 uh, uh, grams of protein a day, but for me, and just like most people, you want to make sure that you're also becoming very hydrated when you do that, because if you don't do that, there's a, there's a measure that they do when they do your blood test, it's called the BUN, belirubin urea nitrogen levels, which gives good indication of overall internal health. And if your bun is super high, that's not good for you. Um, and what will keep that lower? High protein intake can drive bun up, but if you're dehydrated, mm-hmm. so by hydrating yourself, what you do is by uh, taking in your protein and keeping yourself hydrated, um, that will help to keep your bun at a reasonable or at a reasonable level. The other things I do though too is I you know make sure that they've got a good uh, multivitamin. For my athletes, you know, that are coming off um, uh, post-surgical, I have them always super dose vitamin C. Um, You know, I usually have them taking a thousand milligrams twice a day uh, to help to uh, boost their immune system because their immune system is going to be worn down. It's going to be taxed. You know, um, the exercise, as we all know, when you exercise, your immune system drops first and then it comes back up. Right, so just post exercise, it can dip. What studies show is that when you're in rehab, that dip is a little bit greater. So boosting that vitamin C to really boost up their their uh, immune system response, um, also vitamin D, keeping their vitamin D high, um, and then also folic acid. Fulvic acid is really uh, good for the reparative process, um, and so making sure that they're getting some kind of folic acid uh, supplementation.
0: What about the brain? Is there any evidence to suggest that BFR can be an effective strategy for cognitive improvement?
1: You know, um, there's not research on BFR in the brain, but there's a lot of research on exercise in the brain. We also know that as you improve or increase intensity of exercise, that there's a benefit to brain health, right? Just like anything, And so, you know, again, not specific to BFR, there's not specific research on that. But if we take that thought process, we take that research from exercise and what we know about BFR, I would absolutely think that by using BFR and leveraging BFR, you're going to get that same kind of brain health uh, impact to it. So
0: let's get into the the protocols here now, and we'll yeah. separate into the resistance side yep. of things and the aerobic side of things yep. so in terms of yep. sets, reps, and all of that. What what? Yeah, yeah. So that is
1: probably the biggest mistake that uh, physical therapists do. So, matter of fact, I I saw um, uh, not too long ago. I saw one of my uh, jujitsu athletes came in had an ACL reconstruction, um, and he had been getting physical therapy. And you know, I asked him, I'm like, so are you doing BFR? Yeah, I'm doing BFR um how much of how much of your routine are you doing bfr for you know i'd, I'd say it's probably at least 50 percent of his routine was bfr so i'm like great so you should look pretty good it comes in his quad is horrible I'm like what in the world is going on i don't understand this so you're using bfr so what i did is i put bfr on him put a cuff on him and i had him just do something as simple as some quad sets now the rep sequence um there's two rep sequences you can use 30 reps 30 second rest 15 reps, 30-second rest, 15 reps, 30-second rest, 15 reps, release the pressure. 75 reps, that 75 reps is one set, okay? So the the next sequence is 30 reps, 30-second rest, 30 reps, 30-second rest, 30 reps, release the pressure. The rest time in between your sets should be 60 seconds or less, So what I found out was, is that his therapist was doing 30, 15, 15, 15, 15. That was it for that exercise. Well, you've only done one set. Studies show that you have to do four to six sets. Okay. So in order to get the effect, you got to do four to six sets of that. So they weren't even tapping into the full physiological effect yet. Right. Because they were only doing one set like that. So if you, so when you do it, you know, for me, for example, I like 30, 30, 30 a lot, um, because what it allows me to do, um, is really to attack a whole body part. So let's say I'm going to do legs, you know, maybe I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe I do 30 squats, 30 second rest, 30 leg extension, 30 second rest, 30 hamstring curls, and then release the pressure. Now I can go through an entire leg workout in like eight minutes. Right, and your legs are trashed, right? So the beauty of that is, is that what it does then is it takes the uh, pr- the session, and you can reduce the length of the session and make it so much more intense. So, so that's the rep sequence for you know for um, strength and conditioning. Now, if you're looking at cardio, it's um, it's five minutes on, five minutes off, five minutes on, five minutes off for a cycle of 30 minutes. Okay. Um, I've done as much as 40 minutes, um, five on, five off, five on, five off. Um, And I'll do it for a lot of different things. Um, So I'll do it for the bike. So I'll have them on the bike or I'll have them on the elliptical. I don't usually do it on the treadmill because I find that their legs get so tired. Um, I sometimes worry they're going to plant, do a face plant on the treadmill. Um, But what I will do um, is I'll also do, you know, for like my jujitsu people, um, we'll do uh, three minutes of grip fighting and then uh, two minutes of single leg shots. So you got four cuffs on and you're doing grip fighting for three minutes and then you're doing some single leg shots at the end. And then and then you release the pressure and then you repeat that cycle and then put the pressure back on and repeat that cycle. So there's a lot of different ways that you can use that. Um, you know, um, when I first, I first started out, I was like, Dr. Sato, um, I put cuffs on my arms and my legs and I tried to do a five minute, uh, uh, roll session with my son after about two minutes when I can't pick up my arm, (laughs) it's not good to defend yourself against a choke against your 16 year old son. (laughs) Needless to say, I learned my lesson. Um, but there are a lot of different ways you can be very creative with BFR you know, the other thing is too, is that, you know, there's such a fear around BFR because it's blood flow restriction. Um, I use, uh, I use a cuff that does not fully occlude. Um, and the reason I use that cuff is because, um, one, it does not fully occlude. So it's safer to use. Um, and it's so versatile. Um, so I can give it to an athlete and I can have them do their exercise routine at the gym. And I know they're not going to mess themselves up. Because we all know those athletes that you know what? Oh, if 80% occlusion is good, 100% is going to be awesome, right? Yeah. So so um, the beauty of the cuffs that I use allows me that 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 versatility with it and the functionality of it that I can give it to them to do as a part of their program. I use it with my jujitsu athletes to improve. I give it them as a part of their workouts um, and as a part of their training routine, You know, so it's, you know, you can be super duper creative. As you saw in the course, I mean, I do a lot of, I do a lot of plyometric stuff with it. Um, I do blaze pod stuff with it. For those that aren't familiar, blaze pods are some kind of reaction, light reaction uh, pods. Um, I do boxing drills with it. I do jujitsu drills with it. Um, You know, beyond just your regular leg extension, short arc quads, leg raises, that kind of stuff.
0: And I just want to just uh, reiterate just for the people listening uh, with the protocol for the resistance training. So one set would be 30 reps, 30 seconds rest, 15 reps, 30 seconds rest, 15 reps, 30 seconds rest, 15 reps. And then you take a 60 second rest and then with the pressure off the pressure okay. off yeah. and then you repeat that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or six times.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it is intense. Like you, it is very intense. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and the studies show that you, you will get muscle hypertrophy in three to four weeks. Yeah, You literally get muscle hypertrophy in half the time of what normally happens. And yeah. that's huge.
0: Tell us about the course. Cause I, I'll say I, I, yeah. I, I, I took your course and, mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, you're such a great communicator as I, everybody can tell already. But your course is amazing. If there's physical therapists listening, yeah. anybody who works in sports medicine, or really anybody who's just kind of like a workout, yeah, yeah, to learn more, where can they find your course?
1: Yeah, so it's through Northeastern Seminars, um, and it's a it is a BFR certification course um, offered through Northeastern Seminars uh, through a partnership through uh, the University of Tennessee. Um, so it is for CCEUs uh, uh, as well as a certification. Um, there is a lot of online pieces to it, so um, there's some pre-recorded. Uh, uh, Dr. Paulos does some, Kevin Wilk does some, uh, um, uh, David does some, I do some, and then there's the live lab. In the live lab, um, I'm I'm the lead instructor. I do have somebody else I have pulled into it, Leslie Parrish. Um, typically, I lead the the uh, um, the lab portion. Lab portion, I go through, uh, review the current literature related to BFR. We do some didactic. Um, and then the, the rest of the time is basically um, applying BFR. Um, as part of the course, you actually get some BFR cuffs. Um, and and uh, it was important for me as a part of that course for people to, to experience it, to yeah. feel it. So we go through a lot of exercise. Um, I have you try the exercise. I always have, I have a subject with me who goes through the exercises and demonstrates. And then I have people repeat that.
0: Yeah. And it's, it is a really great course. I highly recommend it. Like I said, I went through it myself. I learned a ton. Um, I, in terms of the cuffs. So I use uh, the smart tools cuffs. I absolutely Mm -hmm. love them. um, But they probably are out of some people's price range. Um, What cuffs do you recommend for most people? Yeah,
1: you know, uh for most of the people that I'm dealing with, um, non-clinicians, they're usually athletes, um, I use the rock cuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I use the rock cuff, again, you know, I do they they uh include the the their cuffs as a part of the course. Um so there's there's that piece in full transparency. Um but the other piece is I've been with them since the since the uh their first design. Um so I've been a part of their uh overall design and it's It is a, uh, does not fully occlude. Um, It does give great compression. Um, You get the same exact results um, and it's consistent um, and it's safe. Um, That's big part for me is I don't want people to just be able to experience this in my clinic, in my setting. I want them to experience that outside of that. So I want them to be able to use this as a part of your gym routine. So most of the people that I see will end up walking out with a pair of cuffs um, as a part of the things that they're going to do as a part of their routine.
0: Yeah. And um, where can people find you? What, what's your website and and your social? Yeah. Media? <clears throat> yeah. So my uh, social media
1: is BJJPT or yeah, BJJPT underscore ACL guy. Uh, and then uh, that's my Instagram. And then my uh, website is uh, Dr. D-R-T-R-E-N-T Nestler.com. Uh, and there's some information about um, some of our ACL research, some of our ACL work. Uh, we have a wearable sensor technology that we developed and et cetera. Yeah. So.
0: And actually, I want to have you on again to talk about, maybe just touch a little bit on on yeah. the product that you've designed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it is it is called the, uh, the, uh, the, well, we just released a new version called the VMove Plus AMI, Athletic Movement Index. Um, this uses a, a wearable sensor uh, that's an IMU, inertial measurement unit, has an accelerometer, gyrometer, magnetometer, um, and it, it detects human movement within 2% of a Viacom system. So the, the biomechanics lab where you put all the dots all over you and you film you with eight cameras, we can literally do that in, um, uh, in 15 minutes within 2% of what that lab provides you. Um, so we've we've used the system. The system was initially uh, launched I uh, partnered with DORSA-V uh, to launch the system. We initially launched the first version in 2017. It's been used uh, in over 450 facilities. It's used in the NBA, the NFL, the UFC. Um, uh, we've got over 60,000 athletes that have been assessed with it. Um, and the, new ver- the old version collected 1500 data points for every assessment. The new version actually collects over uh, 3,500. Wow. So I not, not only can I tell you how much valgus occurs at your knee, um, the degree of that valgus and the speed at which that valgus occurs, I can also tell you how much your pelvis moves during a single leg activity. I not only can tell you how much does your pelvis move, but what speed does your pelvis move at? Um, I can tell you how stable is your core Um, Are you controlling it within eight degrees of flexion extension, side bending and rotation Um, during squatting motions? We look to see, are you, uh, are you loading both limbs equally? Um, And we're finding some amazing things along with that because, because with 60,000 athletes, 1500 data points, we have over 90 million data points we've collected. And so from that mass data, we found a lot of different trends for example, I'll just briefly. One of the things that
0: keep going with this, I uh, yeah, yeah. fascinating.
1: So one of the things that we found is, you know, after an ACL reconstruction, you know, one of the things that some athletes develop is called kinesiophobia. So we actually have a, a kinesiophobia measure that we use called the TSK eleven. It's Tampa Scale for Kinesiophobia eleven form, and what we found is that when we combine the TSK eleven and the EMI there are certain movements of the EMI that are predictive of poor performance on the TSK-11. For example, in a squat, if, if I draw a plumb line right down the center of you and you squat, your hips should remain equal distance from that plumb line. People with kinesiophobia shift their weight way away from their affected side. And the interesting thing is, is that that's not typically corrected in PT because we're not looking for it. Um, But we see it, and what we see is that when you correct that lateral shift, kinesiophobia goes down. The other thing that we see with kinesiophobia is that athletes who have high levels of kinesiophobia have greater degrees of valgus during single limb activities, and their speed of valgus is usually over what the recommended speeds are. So an athlete who uh, has high levels of kinesiophobia may be presenting with 20 degrees of valgus at land and speeds of over 200 degrees per second. The beauty of that is, is that because we have these objective measures, we're now able to target much more specifically with our exercise to see what exercises work and what don't. Right. So we actually got this really fascinating study going on right now with the Anderson Institute out of Texas. And we've collected data on over 400 athletes and their TSK-11. And one of my goals with this study, and I think we're going to be able to do it. One of my goals of this study is to be able to look at specific questions on the TSK-11 and know what movement that's correlated with so that the doctor could simply do a TSK-11 on somebody and say, and know that wow. your single leg squat's going to look horrible if you do it. So here's what you need to do to change this. You need to start doing some single leg squats, and this is how you need to correct it when you do it. So what I want to be able to do is to have have to the point where a doctor can look at the question and see that they scored poorly on that question and give them specific exercises that are going to change the performance on that one question.
0: So there's corrective exercises associated with each each question. Correct. Wow. And then yeah. do you offer a course for I do. clinicians to take mm-hmm. that as well? And that is that through... Uh, The same website. That's also
1: through Northeastern Seminars. Um, It's an AMI certification course. Um, And um, you actually, so uh, those who end up buying the system, they actually get a discount on the course. Um, And it's an online course walking through it. Um, Also, if you see behind me, uh, How to Build a Badass Firefighter. Yes. uh, Was a book that I published in uh, January actually goes into all the science behind all of this. So that, that that book is actually, it's written for firefighters, but it's really complied to any athlete. Um, but I do, as I go through the science of um, what movements should we be looking for? What is the effect of those movements on each joint of the body? And then how do we assess that with the EMI? What do these deviations of the EMI tell us as clinicians? And then most importantly, how do we create corrective exercises to change specific results on those tests? Right. And then for the business owners, there's actually a whole chapter in there of how to make this a business.
0: And actually, so a friend of mine is a firefighter and I oh, told okay. him that book and he, oh, is, awesome. So I'm sure it's influencing yeah. the yeah. fire departments here in Vancouver. And it <clears throat> makes me think of the study that, that Stuart McGill did with the firefighters in Florida, where he was coaching them. And it turned out that they were able to improve their job performance, just yep. coaching in the gym yep. as well. Now all comes back to movement.
1: Absolutely. And so part of, you know, my, my, my W2 job um, is that uh, what I do is I go around the country and we do assessments on firefighters. So um, this last year, we've done over 7,000 assessments on firefighters. Um, And then we actually have an app um, that pushes out exercise programs to the firefighter based off of their assessment. Um, And then through our app, we actually track uh, sleep cycles, we track their heart rates, Uh, hydration a lot of different biometrics so that we can proactively manage the the first
0: responder can firefighters or, or first responders have an assessment like that done online
1: they can't have it done online because you actually have to place the sensors on the individual you know um i i i hope to someday that we'll we'll get to that point you know um, you know, the, the, the new version of the technology is super advanced, um, compared to where we started. Um, the goal is, uh, is eventually is to, you know, I, I developed it for mass physicals, thinking sports, right. you know, and, and, in sports, your biggest team is football of 110 football players. Well, now I go to a department and our, our sized department is 2000 firefighters, now I got to implement that same process with 2,000 versus 110. So um, we've got it down to where we're processing about 100 people a day um, with, uh, with the assessments. That being said, um, you know, we're we're looking at departments of 10,000, you know, so, so my goal is to work with my uh, technology partner, which is Dorsa V, to get the technology to a point where. Um, we can start doing uh, five people at one time, versus you know the way that we currently do it, which is one on one.
0: Yeah, and any plans of of coming to Canada to do that? Because uh, that sounds really exciting.
1: Well, I tell you, you know, there's there is a, there is a couple of clinics in Canada now um, that actually have the technology and are using the technology. So yeah, you know, it's you know the the beauty of it is um, you know as a clinician you can collect data on every single ACL that you see. Um, And if you see ACLs from other competitors, and I write this in the book about how you can leverage the technology for a competitive edge. But if you see ACLs from other competitors, you can actually compare your outcomes to your competitors. Um, And, and more importantly is you can show your doctors the difference in those outcomes.
0: Well, this has been absolutely awesome, Trent. Thank yeah. you so much for doing this. I, and absolutely. I know everybody listening um, is blown away by your knowledge <laughs> and communi- communication. Well, thank story. you. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely.
1: Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for having me.